0: Wrapping up the day's sporting issues deep into the night, this is Extra Time on SENZ. I'm gonna-
1: It's just gone 8 o'clock here on SCNZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you right through until uh, 10 o'clock tonight. And uh, we are talking NRL all of this hour. Every Monday from 8 o'clock, we wrap the NRL round and we start. Every round, uh, every hour, I should say, on a Monday night at eight o'clock, uh, with Big Ben Francis's uh, WAR awards for the Big Ben Award. Um, that's that's the working title uh, at the moment. Uh, ben Francis, uh, how stoked were you with that win on the weekend against the Dogs?
2: I look, it's more the there's more the resilience and the effort that they showed. They once again got off to a bit of a slow start, and then there was the play where they where Pompey lost the ball and it was ruled no try and then the Bulldogs score straight off the scrum. And those are the kind of little moments there where I'd say the Warriors teams, I'd say you know, under your Nathan Browns, predominantly under your Stephen Kearney's and uh, the previous coaches probably faded away after that. That probably might have been a bit of a, a gut puncher and they might have not recovered. But boy, they, they, they just keep... Showing that fight, which is what I think fans have been begging for for years, and look, even if they didn't get the win, I think you probably could have walked away, been gone, like yeah, they had that effort, but it would have been disappointing because even though they won, it wasn't pretty by by any means. But hey, you, 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 those are the games you need to win if you want to play the, the, in the top top eight. You have to win those gritty games, those ones where they're a bit fifty fifty, could go either way. So.
1: Yeah, well, it is right. I mean, like that—that that is one thing that we've seen uh, previously. Is if the Warriors go eight nil down in a game, um, some sometimes that's it. That's all you need, right? The heads go, um, and it and it blows out, and you and you know. Um, that's just the game gone if they if they concede a, a decent lead early, but uh, we didn't see that this time. It's a different different so, uh, Warriors team in a way.
2: Yeah, well, in, in past years it will kind of just bunch up and it'll just be going through the motions, just get to the kick and maybe throw the odd offload, and it you just it's just good seeing that they're the trying things that. They're making the, those effort plays. They're putting efforts into the tackle. They're looking at putting guys into space. It, there's a lot more work going on. And it's even the guys off the ball as well. The guys off the ball are, are doing a lot of work to try and get in the good positions. And you know the prime example of that was Adam
1: Fenua-Blake, of course,
2: running, yes. running
1: the best line ever. <laughs> the best line ever, which upset a few Dogs fans.
2: It did. But uh, I was very keen to hear what Graham Annesley had to say about it. So I tuned in to his his weekly press conference and he said that he, he said the right call was made but he said he can understand why it was divided and he pretty much explained that for Blake did not he was the support runner so yeah. he had every right to keep doing what he did and he did not veer off if he had kind of take taken a step and gone into read Marnie different story but Marnie I think Marnie had had thought that Fanor Blake had taken the ball because before Fanor Blake hits him, he kinda plants his legs if he, so he kinda he kinda sees him and he's kind of getting ready to tackle him. So I think Marnie had partly committed to Feneur Blake, but as the fact that Fanur Blake ran perfectly straight, there was no deviation from whatsoever.
1: That's why the try was awarded and why it was upheld. Right. So that is uh, that and and that's uh, You know, often the the type of call that goes against the Warriors, right?
2: Well, they did. it felt like in the early parts of the game they were getting a few things, like the referee wasn't giving them any, and it was even just the penalties for being inside the 10. And look, every team's inside the 10 every once in a while, but it just seemed like they were just continual going against the Warriors. And those are the things as well where where they kind of drop off because it's just like, it's just not our day. But even though they kind of worked their way back into the match and then they started getting a few calls, which that is probably a, a, a... A sign of their effort being rewarded.
1: Yeah, 100%. I mean, because there was the, uh, what was it, the Pompey try that, what did Annesley say about that?
2: Look, he was on the, he didn't want to give a conclusive answer because he said, look, it literally, it's one of those calls where it could go on either way because Pompey had his arm out looking for an offload. So that's why you could say Kikau knocks the ball out there's one angle where it looks like he's clearly swiping at the ball but he said he said like it's one of those ones where if it goes up a try it probably stays a try. The yep. fact it goes up no try it has to be conclusive to overturn it and it, as it wasn't conclusive they have to stick with the on field decision so it was one of those ones a 50-50 call but you're going to get these in, in in any sport you're going to get calls that do divide people and
1: of course it just depends on what side of the fence you sit on. So, yeah, there's a bloke who hasn't really kicked on yet this year. Philly Army Kickow at the Dogs. I've got him in my fantasy team. He's not doing a lot, and he doesn't. he's not cheap. So, t- tell you what, if you play fantasy NRL RL or Supercoach, buy him this week because I'm going to sell him. and guarantee you'll turn up.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, I, look, it's just adjusting to a new system. He's, he's got different playmakers there. I know he's been he's played with Matt Burton before, but Burton was predominantly in a centre role, and I'm not 100% sure if they're on the same side of the field. But... He's play, playing under a different coach, different team. It is, look, it is going to take a few weeks for some of these combinations to gel. But the Bulldogs have got good players on paper. But whether they can maintain it for the season and then they can keep up, who knows? But the Bulldogs will definitely look at one that, that got away. And Cameron Serraldo summed it up very well after the game. He said, you know, he was asked about what was the difference in that game. And he simply said, Sean Johnson. Mm. That,
1: that was his answer. Uh, Any chance, I know it's only one game, any chance that Sean Johnson... Um, signs a longer deal at the Warriors.
2: Look, and this is actually one of the notes I I made. And... Well, shall we
1: just go through your team then? Because yeah. otherwise, they're going to take take away all your yeah. notes. No, all no right. that's fine. Yeah. Uh, so, all right. Let's let's go through because every week Ben goes through and and, and gives the team uh, each member of the team a score out of ten. Uh, doesn't do half points. By the way, if you're going to text in and suggest somebody needs a seven and a half and not a seven, uh, but anyway, here we go. Uh, Chance Clockstead at the back. Uh, back after uh, that head knock. How do you think he went?
2: Yeah, look, I was great. here. Yeah, I thought he did well in his his first game back. Strong, bringing the ball back, and steady performance. I gave him a seven. Uh, what about Ed Cossey out on the wing? I gave him a seven as well. Uh, he's doing enough, I think, to probably keep Dallin. And this sounds crazy to say, but when Dallin's fit, the way Cossey's been going, I I I wouldn't drop him just because. He hasn't really done a lot wrong. He's he's doing his job, but I can see why you might want a bit more experience in your back line, but I think Kossi's doing well. He gets a 7 as well. Viliami
1: Vilea at the centres.
2: Yeah, look, he scored a try in that game. He was I'm not saying he was at, completely at fault, but I'd say he was made a bit of an error when the Bulldogs scored that first try, but he
1: recovered well, and he gets a 7 too. Uh, Adam Pompey. Yeah... <laughs> <laughs> what do you always say about Adam Pompey? Uh,
2: just another Pompey performance, I guess. Uh, and that's, that's the thing, though. You you get moments of... He has he has some good moments, but
1: he just has some absolute brain explosions and you just think, why? He gets a six. Here's a question for you, and I don't know if he... I'm pretty sure he has at some point, but if Darlan were telling you Zalesniak is back fit and you don't want to drop Ed Cossi could you play him in the centres? I mean, yeah, you probably could, to be honest, but...
2: You can also play you can also play fullback and you think we well, can chance move to the centres, but mm. the thing is the way Webster is for me, I don't think Webster really wants to change too much in a team that's playing well. If he'll make the changes if need to, but if you've got your team going well and you've got the guys there, you might as well just keep them going. But I don't know how far away Dallin is.
1: Okay. Uh, what about Marcelo Montoya on the other one? Yeah, look, he, he had the play of the game for me when he absolutely
2: steamrolled Carl Flanagan. That was absolutely <laughs> incredible. You, you could hear the thud just on, on the TV. Just the, uh, I'm trying to think, what would I describe it as? It, it, it sounded just as good. As a baseball hitting a home run like this, just got that nice sound. It just had that beautiful sound. You're like, oh, that that was nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, like he gets a seven as well. He he's he's been doing such a good job, and I just want to say thanks to the Bulldogs for letting him <laughs> letting, letting us have him because he was a guy that came in and people going, oh, I don't know, but he, he's doing well in the Warriors so far.
1: Yes, he uh, is. Tomati Martin at six. Yeah, I'm
2: dishing out a lot of sevens, but I kind of touched on before that. Even though the Warriors won, they weren't outstanding. So there's a few guys in here, lots of guys who who get a 7. Tomite is one of them. I thought he did his role, his role well. Good passing, good on defense again, so he gets a 7. 7,
1: all right. Uh, Sean Johnson.
2: Yeah, look, he is one of three players I gave an 8, which was my highest rating wow. for the week. To me, it was his best game, I would say, since he's been back. And the point I want to touch on, and you mentioned it before as well, is He's proving a lot of people wrong, including myself. We kind of felt that, look, the way Sean had been playing, maybe he is going to hang up the boots at the end of the season. He's got one the one year on a steal. They've got Volkman, they've got Luke Metcalf waiting in the wings. But he's—I don't want to say he's rolling back farther time because he's only thirty-two, but he is he is playing a lot more like the Sean Johnson when we prior to those ankle injuries where I felt he really went in his shell but in saying that I kind of feel like playing on a winning team and playing in a good environment might be encouraging that yeah because you look at how the Warriors have been over the last decade it hasn't been that hasn't it's been some very very dark times and hasn't been the best and I think maybe it's just the environment and Maybe he's getting that extra bit of encouragement just to express himself a bit more and that might be part of it. But look, this is gonna be very interesting. I think probably more needs to be made about this is what will happen with Sean Johnson? Will he retire? I know his wife is expecting another baby, or does he sign another, you know, one, two year deal? Who knows? This is I'm finding this I think it's gonna be a very fascinating story.
1: Yeah, alright, we'll see how that plays out uh, like I said, one game doesn't make a season but uh, if you can keep that up then maybe it's a conversation they need to have. Uh, let's move to the forward pack, for Finua Blake
2: Yeah look, he gets an 8 as well and that's large part because he ran that line which we touched on earlier, just fantastic, great try assist. Yeah,
1: massive uh, Freddie Lussick, of course uh, no Wade Egan and um, you know I did wonder where, how much of a miss Wade Egan would be this weekend gone especially against the Dogs when they've got Reed Barney
2: yeah, look, Freddie—he's a good backup option, but he's definitely no Wade Egan. I gave him a six. It's very hard because to me, Freddie Lussick is more of a uh, a playmaker that will run the ball a bit more, while Wade Egan is a bit more of a try put others into into gaps, into space, and a bit more of a hard man on defense. So,
1: look, I, I, he gets a six. But uh, the Warriors probably did miss Wade Egan. Okay. Uh, what about Bunty R. Four? He uh... Didn't play a lot last week. He didn't play a lot last week. He didn't play all too much more this week. I just gave him a six. Okay, all right. Uh, We'll go to Jackson Ford. Um, First game back again, another guy who's who's been out with a head knock.
2: Yeah, to me he was a little bit rusty, to be honest, but that could just be you know working his way back, and I gave him a six.
1: Morata Niakore is uh, second row partner.
2: Yeah, look, his uh, 100th NRL game, it was, to me, that was his best game in the Warriors so far. He gets a 7. OK, uh, and what about Tohu Harris? Yeah, look, this one was pretty hard, and I had to give him a 6. And it, it feels bad for saying this, but he didn't play the majority of the second half. I think he played 48 minutes all up, and I don't think he ran the ball probably as much as he usually did as well. Yeah. So look, he gets a 6, which is unfortunate, but he's still he's still leading, leading the race for the Wild Wards, so...
1: So he's doing all right. Uh, Let's go to the bench then. Uh, Dylan Walker.
2: Uh, He had a seven. I really like Dylan Walker. He played three positions out in the field there in his time on the field and he
1: he obviously makes an impact wherever he goes. He does. He does. Uh, uh, What about Surinan?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Can I say another Pompey performance or is that getting too old?
1: (laughs) No. Away you go. Uh, Jazz Tavanga.
2: Yeah, I'm really, really impressed with Jazz Tavanga. To me... He's really starting to hit his potential, and he's been very. He, he hasn't been giving away those silly penalties and things like we've seen in the past with Jazz, which I am really I'm really happy with, and I think that he's probably got his role settled because when he came in he was initially a backup hooker, and then he was kind of getting thrown around all over the place. And I've expressed my views on him playing hooker. I want him far away from playing hooker as possible, and that's only because I feel that his talents are wasted if we play him a hooker so he's finally getting these chances he's playing different positions as well but whatever they're doing it's working for him so just they just need to keep it up
1: okay and then uh, tom ale yeah look tom ale he's
2: playing more minutes he's building quite nicely i gave him a six uh just wanted to add at the end look there probably will be a couple of changes in the team this week i highly doubt tohu would play
1: yeah, because so, he got a knee injury, didn't he?
2: Yeah, they haven't confirmed what it is, but he's had two ACLs, and so I'd assume that a man who's done both his ACLs would know when he's hurt his knee. Yeah, uh, I think the initial reports is it's an MCL. So, look how the Warriors do their back backline or their forward back of their forward scrum pack. You know what I'm trying to say, Ricardo?
1: Well, that's got to be Jazz at thirteen, doesn't it?
2: Well, that's what I was wondering. But Jazz is doing so well off the bench do they just keep him off on the bench and do they put Josh Curran? Yeah, where was Josh this week? So Josh Curran was the 18th man and I know there has been a bit of talk around him and uh, I think Richard Agar, the assistant coach, was on with Smithy last week and he was asked a question about that and, he was talking about there's probably a few things that Josh needed to work on and that's what Webster's told him And he was playing New South Wales Cup, which I think could be valid. But I also think that maybe part of it could be maybe he didn't come back into the season in the best shape. Maybe, the course, he had the off-field incident at the at the club um, yeah. in, in Australia, I think he, he allegedly... Uh, Punch someone in the face, and maybe that kind of hindered things, and maybe the, the drama around that because I know he deleted his social medias and things like that, so, so that could have probably had a bit of an impact on him. and He's just, just hasn't come back, probably the best, yeah. So, Webster's probably just given him a little bit more time to get back into it, and then hopefully, who, who knows? But I would that's what I would anticipate whether they name uh. Karen at 13, or they do put Jazz there. But I think Jazz is doing so well off the bench, you have to keep him on the bench.
1: All right. OK, there you go. That is uh, uh, your uh, Big Ben Waz weightings, or Waz ratings, I should say, uh, for the the Big Ben medal. Uh, Who's leading that race at the moment, actually? Mm
2: Uh, I have Tohu on 34 points, of okay. uh, course I'm doing them out of 10 every week, and yeah. Tohu kind of impacted by that 6 this week, and I think off the top of my head, when I was looking at my list before, I think Dylan Walker's second, No, oh, okay. I think he's got 29, but... I have to go. I have to go ask the bunker, and who knows? the Bunker might rule me out for a forward pass or a
1: miscalculation or (laughs) something. Tell who can tell in this game. Uh, It is 17 past eight here on extra time. We are breaking down the last round of the NRL here, as we do every Monday night for between eight and nine. Stephen Gallagher from Sports Freak with us next. This is SENZ Extra Time, Ricardo Ball, through till 10 o'clock tonight, between 8 and 9 every Monday. We talk NRL and wrap the latest NRL round, and we do it with Stephen Gallagher from sportsfreak.co.nz. He is their lead league rider. Stephen, um, I know that you said you'd only come on if we didn't mention the Dragons too much, but we might have to touch on it towards the end, Okay?
3: Yeah, look, at fair, Ricardo, mate. How are you?
1: Yeah, yeah, good thanks mate. And and all the better for my Eels getting on the board. Um, I think we talked about it last week. They'd had three losses from three games, but it you know, only had a, had lost all those games by four points. It was a another tight one Thursday night against the Panthers who off the back of the bye.
3: Yeah, bloody good on them. They uh they hung in there, they they did everything they need to and um uh, bar uh, uh, you know the the Nathan Cleary miracle they're going to win in um, in regular time, but um, they the, as you you know four three four point losses in a row they've all been close games like you said, and then they win another close one here, so they're obviously there or thereabouts and um, uh, probably deserved that win on Thursday night. That's for sure.
1: I've got to ask you, mate. As somebody who's a complete neutral on this, um, you know last season when... The club re-signed Clint Gutherson for two point three million over three years, but let go Reed Marnie and Isaiah Papali'i. I I I couldn't understand uh, the what was going on there. It made no sense to me from a recruitment retention point of view. Uh, Now we're hearing uh, the club have told Gutho that uh, well, yeah, we're actually looking for a gun fullback. We'll put the SOS out. I mean, what the hell's going on?
3: Well there's not many gun fullbacks around that are free um, so I don't know where, where Parramatta are going to find this maybe they're going to raid uh, uh, Australian rugby like uh, Australian rugby is trying to ra- raid the NRL at the moment but look I think you get better value out of um, players like Marnie and Papali'i than you do out of Gutherson mm-hmm. and um, I think I think Guffo's the player that the Eels need. Like, you know, I think if you tried to put someone like Caelan Ponger in, like, the back line of uh, the Panthers, per se, he just wouldn't fit. You know, Dylan Edwards is that right player for, him. That, uh, player for that Parramatta back line, and he complements uh, Moses and Brown really well. And I don't know where Parramatta are going to find said gun fullback, you know. It's just, it's, there's just not that many players out there willing to, you know, take that next leap at the moment
1: it's frustrating as you can imagine I've um, been a Dragons friend you know what about frustration at your club is, but you know um, there's, there's a, <laughs> a bloke called there's a bloke called Hayes Perham that we let go for free who's doing a pretty good job with the one juicy at the dog so I'm going we could have got rid of Gutho kept Perham and kept Reed Barney and we'd be laughing
3: well that's right you know and um, you yeah. know and he's really he's only going to be in that one jersey for the Bulldogs this season until Stephen Crichton comes in 2024 to to Bankstown, so yeah, 100% right. Like I think there's a lot more upside in in Reed Marnie, and he's got about you know 10 more years left in his NRL career, whereas um, you know the current uh, Eels Hooker, the, the man from uh, England, Josh Hodgson, has only probably got maybe maybe two max, so. You know, and we've seen just how important um, uh, a nine is. But I also thought um, the the best player on debut on on Thursday night with the best last name, and then our Mr. Hands. Um, what a great name for a for a rookie number nine!
1: What a yeah, what a what a great name! It's a, it's only a pity that Jazz Devanga's parents weren't his parents because you imagine it, Jazz Hands.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, Jazz's hands have let him down for a, for a long time, so that probably wouldn't be quite fitting.
1: Maybe not, maybe not. All right, so the Eels get the win over the uh, Premier's 17-16 Thursday night. Friday night, uh, the Storm got up 24-12 over the Tigers. Uh, Boy, uh, I I thought the Tigers this season might actually uh, upset a few. I thought they had a decent spine, but that is still coming together, and it's not coming together particularly quickly.
3: No, and, um, you know, for... For so the Tigers, it doesn't get any easier next week when they play the undefeated Brisbane Broncos. Um, they just look clunky. Mm. The t- the Tigers just they just nothing is working for them. You know, like we saw them have this great little ten minute spell against the Bulldogs two weeks ago, but they just they were never going to win that game on the weekend against the the Storm. They were never in it. You know, and you know they get out to a twenty four six lead or something like that. and They were never going to come back from that, and it's just. Whatever's whatever's going on there just isn't working, and whether it's from higher up or if it's the playing group or something needs to change, and and you know I'm I'm sure Tigers fans are sicker than you know they've been the laughing stock for the NRL since you know the last time they made the playoffs, which was over 12 years ago, so. Just something definitely needs to change, and you know Melbourne didn't play that great. You know they did enough to win, and that was it.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, And they needed the W as well, mate. Uh, The Dolphins Broncos, the game everybody was looking forward to, it did not disappoint. Although um, I think we missed Felice Calfusi ironing someone out, didn't we? I'm still I'm still unsure how he managed to get a four week ban, to be honest
3: yeah um I think uh four weeks is incredibly harsh, and I know a lot of people were comparing the hit hits um on Nickel uh, Nikol Klugstad, uh mm. the week before, which uh, didn 't serve anything um, but yeah, this was a great game uh you know it was literally the dolphins could have stole it right at the end there if it wasn 't for uh, katoni stags running a hundred meters and sealing the game but um I know this is the first of um, a big rivalry to come for these two, um, you know, there's two two team town now in Brisbane with uh, the Redcliffe Dolphins or the Dolphins as they're being called, um, joining them up there. But it was great that the, the crowd was just electric the whole night. Um, you know, both sides were so, so good, you know, even though that the, the Dolphins had a couple of late outs and a, um, and a couple of injury concerns. And obviously Sean O'Sullivan's missing now for so the next 12 weeks with so a pick injury, and yeah. that's going to add a little bit more pressure on them. But um, great game. I'm really enjoying watching this young Brisbane side play. Uh, What about the Cowboys-Titans?
1: I mean, this Titans side have got more about them this season, probably more of what we thought we were going to see last season with Holbrook in charge. Uh, And they did lead this game at halftime, but couldn't get it done.
3: Yeah, they, they're they very, like, if, if the Titans played any other sport, it'd be tennis, because they just go back and forth. It's try for try <laughs> with the Titans, and, and 24-12 was probably a, a fair reflection of the game, where they were just, they probably could have iced a couple more opportunities, and they probably could have, uh, you know, made some better defensive reads to make it a tighter game, but um, the Cowboys, they, you know, they, did exactly what they needed to do, they won at home, they didn't play fancy footy, they are missing a couple of key players, so they got the result and that's all that mattered to them and they banked two points later on at the end of the year. See, the, uh, the game I probably enjoyed most from the weekend
1: outside of uh, my eels getting up uh, was the Rabbits beating the Sea Eagles uh, in Golden Point. And, uh, yeah, what a great game this was. Um, the Sea Eagles probably a little bit unlucky to end up on the losing side. I, I still don't have a problem with teams drawing in the NRL, but uh, the Rabbitohs got it done.
3: Yeah, I'd like to see maybe one point if you if you make it into Golden Point, mm. um, sort of like the the ice hockey when they go into... Into a, you know uh, extra time and, uh, and a penalty in a, a shootout that sort of get one point and then the other team gets the other point for the win. But um, look, Manly it showed that they're going to be a real competitor this year. And I thought, um, despite the fact that the South Sydney were missing so many key forwards through the middle, they hung in there. It was such a tight game, you know, twelve all for you know eighty minutes, and and you know, and that was only courtesy of a uh, uh, Daily Cherry Evans intercept. That sort of you know was the only really reason that you know, Manly were, you know, getting to twelve points anyway and they didn't score any second half points. Um, it, it was a great game I thought. Uh what I what I really enjoyed most was just that physical battle. They were going tit for tat and um I know that uh everything that South Sydney did on, on Saturday night um was for uh you know uh you know the, the late great uh John Sattler, you know, and that's they they played how he would have liked them to play, you know, just in the fight the whole time. Great commitment to the to the to the game, and I also like the the little touch they did with the torn rabbit jersey and um, sort of uh, rocking that 1970 grand final kit, um, which you know obviously they did play against Manly and, and got the win there. So um, yeah, beautiful moment pre-game and, and a great result for South Sydney.
1: Yeah, very good result for South Sydney, uh, and uh, hey, they keep rolling on, mate. So do the Warriors. The Warriors are looking pretty good, mate. They're three and one so far this season. A good win against the Bulldogs, and as Ben and I were saying earlier, you know, it's the sort of game in the past. The Warriors' heads might have dropped eight nil down, few penalties going against them, but they didn't do it this time. They got up and they won it. Uh, they won a tight one, held on at Mount Smart.
3: Yeah, and I think you know they've they've conceded early in every single game they've played this year. So they've obviously started a little bit slow, but they're finishing stronger. And that's something we don't really see from the Warriors. And I think um, what really was, um, what summed that game up is, you know, when Addo Car went uh, 80 metres off the scrum just after what could have been Um, you know a Warriors try at the other end they conceded and then we think you know sure everyone in the 18,000 people at Mount Smart were thinking oh well here we go heads are going to go down but they fought back Johnson played outstanding I've been one of his biggest critics over the last 18 months and he's playing fantastic this year and he definitely deserves to um, be leading this Warriors side round and I I think we're the real deal and I loved um uh, the sign I saw saying that we got the right uh, Panthers assistant coach. So um, <laughs> battle of battle of the uh, assistant coaches there with Soraldo and Webster going head to head. But um, look, the Warriors really impressed me. I think you know they're they're looking pretty good. They play Cronulla this week, and um, you know if they get close and if they stay in that grind, they, they're going to be more than able to win that game. And um, look. I, Props to the Warriors, whatever's going on at Mount Smart seems to be working for them, and it's great to see.
1: Yeah, it's working really well to you. What else is working is the Knights without Calen Ponga. Um, 24-14 up against the, the Raiders at home. Uh, uh, they're going real well. Bradman Best uh, is, a, is an absolute beast. Uh, now he's now he's back fit. Lachlan Miller's going all right. Uh, Greg Marshew on the wing. What a man, that guy is unstoppable. And, you know, Dane Gagai just for winding the opposition up. Um, it was a good win good win against the Raiders, although I thought the Raiders were a bit, without sounding too much like Ricky Stewart, were a bit hard done by by the referee in this one.
3: Yeah, look, and I think uh, that sort of, that faders tag that they got given, you know, the last couple of years sort of came into fruition again, where they conceded three tries in 10 minutes in the second half. But look, I think in all realms of, of possibility that Caelan Ponga might miss the entire season, but it might not be a bad thing for the balance of that Newcastle side. I think Hastings and Gamble are two very good halves. They work really well together. I think Lockie Miller is a brilliant fullback. He's just involved in absolutely everything. Um, you think about if you've got, you know, if Dom, Dom Young works on his errors, and he comes back in, into it. You get him on one wing, you get Marju on the other. Those are two very hard wingers to stop. You Adam Bradman, Best, and Dan Geckai in that backline too. They're, that's a it's a pretty stacked backline, and and you know they've they've had a few injuries as Newcastle side, but we still you know won a couple of games this year, and, and you know the, the Raiders looked a little bit lost, a little bit hard done for by the referee. But uh, I just don't see that sort of grit and that fight that the Raiders are normally used to. They're just looking a little bit off at the moment.
1: Yeah, I don't know what you made of that, but the the Jack Whiten, uh, you know, and I know he got put on report for a high shot, which was fine. I didn't have any issues with that, but uh, Dane Gagai uh, tackled, and I'm trying to remember who it was, was it Sebastian Chris? And he stood over the top yeah. of him, yeah. slapping him around the head. And there was a couple of <laughs> players came in and then, you know, it was like it was everything got held like everybody was holding each other. And Jack White did it to Dane Gagai as he was stood there as if to say, what are you doing this for? And Jack Whiteon gets mm. binned and nothing happens to Dane Gagai. I don't understand how that happens.
3: Yeah, look, obviously, it takes two to tango, and they're both sort of winding each other up. So, really, the only fair way to look at that is that they both should have sat down. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and, and, and Jackie Wyden looked, uh, you know, pretty bemused by the whole thing at the end of it, too.
1: <laughs> yeah, he did. I mean, like, and I can understand why. I'm just, the only thing that surprised me uh, out of that, well, the other thing that surprised me out of that is that uh, Ricky Stewart didn't absolutely blow up at the, at the, at the post match.
3: Yeah, look, I think everyone was uh, hanging on bated breath for uh, Ricky to you know, cop a $10,000 fine, but he uh, must have held it together. He's probably probably still recovering from a few blowouts at the end of last year.
1: Indeed. All right, mate. Uh, let's talk uh, in the last game of the round, the Dragons 8, the Sharks 40. That's got to hurt because that's a real local derby, that one, mate. And, uh, you know, beginning of the season, I thought, Your boys were nailed on to be spooners. Maybe the Tigers will stop you. But then you put in a performance uh, the game after the bye, and I thought, oh, maybe I've got this all wrong. Since then, though, I'm thinking maybe I've got it right again.
3: Yeah, obviously defence needs to be worked on. Um, few few defensive lapses and it's just all on. The floodgates open. and you know it happened last week against the Brisbane Broncos. That last ten minutes conceding four tries and it pretty much happened again in the same fashion. And we just weren't in the you know a position to be near the Sharks with twenty to go. They were just completely all over us and you know, Nick Nico Hines first game back and it looks like, you know, he's in for an absolute season. I think he had 21 tackles, three try assists. He kicked a handful of goals. He just, you know, you think how good Braden Trindle played in his absence. And then Nico Hines just stood up and said, well, this is my jersey and no one's going to take it from me.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think... That- Nico Hines was just outstanding. I can't remember who uh, commentated this game now, but I do remember them saying, um, give him the deli M now. And it, and it's hard, it was hard to argue because he, he looked every inch, everything he touched turned to goal. And I'll tell you who else had a, a great game uh, from yeah a Sharks point of view was Ronaldo Mulitalo. I mean, uh, that try, uh, the Will Kennedy try, he set up with that kick after he had beaten his man on the outside. Uh, he had a
3: fantastic game. I think he's probably top, top three, top four wingers in the game right now. He's explosive. I think him and uh, Sione Kato are probably the two of the best finishers in the NRL right now, and they happen to be playing on the same team. I think uh, Mulatalo's got that really gritty, competitive edge. You know, he loves to fire up. He's... uh, yeah, he gets a bit leery on the field, and he gets the wine players up, and he's always in the thick of it. You think about that trial match they had against uh, uh, the Bulldogs earlier this year, and he was pushing people around, and he was getting in people's faces, and he's just he's just a brilliant uh, finisher. He backs it up on the field. Everything he does, I just I think he's a great talent, and I'm I'm glad that uh, he moved to Queensland one year too late.
1: I bet you are mate, I bet you are Uh, what about this week then Uh, coming up on the draw we've got oh look the Eels are playing Thursday night again this time against another team coming off the bye Uh, the Roosters, Uh, we've got the Raiders, Panthers the Rabbits, Storm, the Seagulls, Knights the Dragons, Dolphins Broncos, Tigers, Sharks Warriors, Dogs, Cowboys which game stands out to you as the game of the round?
3: Honestly I I think there's potential for Rabbitoh Storm to be uh, game of the round, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to that uh, that first Sunday night Sunday game. That that Sharks Warriors Matt mm-hmm. um, Shark Park. Two teams that are playing really good footy. I think uh, Sharks are very good at blowing teams away, and. The Warriors have been able to hang in there, and I think if, you know, the, the Warriors can grind that Cronulla Sharks side out, then they might come away from this game with a win. I don't I don't see it to be very high scoring. I think uh, the Warriors have kept uh, their opponents to less than 20 in, in every single game this year, so I, I just think the Warriors will have a bit of confidence. They'll have a couple more players back from injury this week, and... Um, I think they'll be right up for it. They've got they've got the belief, and I think Cronulla have got the belief too. So it's two really good, informed teams going head to head, and um, you know it should be a thriller on Sunday.
1: Should be, mate. Should be. All right, Stephen. And just before we let you go, we have had a text from Jason at uh, in Victoria saying, Geordie Barrett was training with the Melbourne Storm last week. Do you think he will defect to rugby league?
3: Oh, I would love that, mainly just to wind up all the Union fans here in <laughs> New Zealand. Um, but I, I, well, I Geordie Barrett has uh, an unfathomable high ceiling of talent, and it didn't matter if he went to Rugby League or AFL, he would excel. I have no doubts about that. I think Geordie Barrett would be a great fullback in the NRL.
1: I was going to ask you where you'd play because he, he's he's got the build and the size he could play as an edge forward as well and he you know he's got the hands and the skill set to probably play six as well
3: yeah he honestly I would you could have him anywhere one to 13 I think you know he's got that physicality where you can play him on the edge you can play him at 13 through the middle and like an Isaiah Yeo type mold he's easily could be in the halves he's got that sort of silky ball play um great under the high ball yeah, he's just an all-round athlete and he's probably one of the best All Blacks to had in a long time and I think if, um, if he wanted to, I mean obviously the money's in union, but if he wanted to give, you know, after the World Cup this year, if he wanted to go over to Rugby League and try his hand, I think um, there'd be 17 teams lining up to get a signature.
1: Yeah, well, just like another Hurricane, eh? The one from Huntley.
3: Play well, <laughs> That's it, you know, Lance Ohio was an absolute beast. I think the only difference is there's about two foot in difference of height between Geordie uh, Barrett and Lance Ohio., uh, I think you're right, mate.
1: I think you're bang on. Hey, Stephen, thanks very much for your chat tonight. Always good to catch up and talk rugby league with you. Go well, brother? Awesome, mate. Have a good week, Ricardo. Yeah, you too. Stephen Gallagher there with us from sportsfreak.co.nz. It is 20 away from nine.
0: Tackle five now, they go short side, Flanagan fakes the kick, they decide to carry instead, breaks out of the tackle, and in the right hand corner goes Jacob Carrez. just like that, the Bulldogs after two and a half minutes get the first four-pointer. The Warriors with a scrum 10 metres out in the middle of the park, they go left to Johnson, Johnson then finds the space, by Leah. can he get the arms free? He might not need to because he goes himself, and the Warriors have their first try of the afternoon, it's Viliami Vailia on the left hand edge, it's going to be eight points to four with a kick to come. Well, he so quick across the line and Sean Johnson, he skips
3: and draws the set, he's in two minds and just finds Vailia who runs very good lines.
0: Coming back towards the left, here's Martin, Martin with a wide ball, Vailia gets the off away, Montoya's in the corner! And all the pressure of the last three minutes comes to the fore for the Warriors, they get another four pointer thanks to Marcelo Montoya. This is going to be the four tackle now, Lusick to Johnson, Johnson now through the hands, Johnson goes himself! and he's got it, Sean Johnson under the sticks. Sean Johnson with the little one-two step off the left foot. It's vintage SJ. They stuck in it right to the very end, the Warriors. Coming from behind for the entire match. Tavanga, who's going square, toe-to-toe with Matt Bird and the Hooter sounds. The fans are up on their feet as the Warriors will claim a win here in round four. 16 points to 14. They are 3-1 and one on the season, people. In large part, thanks to a try by Sean Johnson in the 66th minute. And just like that, the Warriors fans are beginning to believe Kempi.
1: Yeah, they are. That is Sam Hewitt and Tony Kemp, our Warriors call team here at SENZ. Uh, They will be calling all the Warriors home games this season. In fact, we've got a lot of live commentary coming up on SENZ. In fact, this weekend, there's live A-League commentary of the Phoenix. There's live ANZ Premiership netball commentary as well, and the Warriors as well with the game out of Shark Park on Sunday afternoon so plenty uh, to get ears around if you're looking for live commentary, live sport SENZ is the place that you will pick it all up, we've got all those live commentaries coming to you this weekend it is 14 away from 9 here on SENZ Yeah we're 9 away from 9 here on SENZ with you through till 10 on Extra Time and tonight uh, after 9 o'clock we're going to catch up with Paul Temple who is the uh, Academy Manager for the Wellington Phoenix. He also took charge of the New Zealand Under-22s team and they played two games against the Chinese Under-24s as curtain raises for the All-Whites this week Uh, and he's a long-suffering Spurs fans. So we'll talk about the Antonio Conte signing, uh, sacking as well and, and where Spurs go next. We're going to do that after 9 o'clock. Uh, but, Ben, I, I asked uh, Stephen Gallagher from Sports Freak this. I feel like I should ask you. Uh, looking at the draw this week, I know you're a Warriors fan, so obviously the Warriors-Sharks is going to be high on your agenda. But what other game are you most looking forward to this weekend?
2: The other game, Ricardo, that I am looking forward to... Uh, I. I... I might actually have to agree with Stephen. To be honest, I, the the Rabideau Storm game does look quite juicy to me, just because you know both teams have you know, gone far in the last quite few years, and just Storm still people with a few question marks around them. So curious to kind of see how they go. Look, the Roosters Eels is another, is another one which I think will be quite fascinating too, as you said, the Roosters coming off the bye. Again, so hopefully it means I got a couple of plays back in fantasy, <laughs> but well, the, the, with the Eels getting that win o- over the the Panthers, you kind of hope that might kickstart things a little bit. Yeah, uh, and the, and so and they're the Roosters, who are you know, the Roosters. So, and if I had to pick one more, of course, said, the Warriors Sharks. I don't know the Bulldogs Cowboys one is kind of interesting for me because. You've got a team in the Bulldogs who's just coming off a loss against the Warriors. Well, Warriors beat both those teams, actually, in the last couple of weeks. But the Bulldogs are a team that are on, on the up, and the Cowboys were a team that probably exceeded expectations last year, if we're, if we're being completely honest. yeah, People probably didn't expect them to finish as high as they did. And the Cowboys probably haven't had the start to the year maybe they kind of hoped for. Uh, they are they got two and two, but they're not. They're not. Haven't been themselves essentially. So this is it's going to be one of those games where both teams are two and two, and going three and two compared to two and three will be will be massive. So that one will be very interesting. Yeah, I'm just curious to see how that one plays out.
1: Yeah, I, I tell you the game that I'm looking forward to, especially seeing what they've dished up the last couple of weeks, is the Seagulls against the Knights. And the Seagulls are are coming off a golden point loss, of course, but the Knights are a really good win for them against the Raiders as well. And, and, you know, as we were talking before, they're starting to look really solid and got a great backline.
2: Yeah, it is. And it's very, it's the curious case of what do you do when Ponga's back? Because if the Knights get on a bit of a roll here, Adam O'Brien will have to put Ponga back in, but then you're destroying the spine, which is performing. And it wasn't didn't look that good when Ponga was playing at six. No. You know, Lachlan Mill looks like he's starting to find his feet. Tyson Gamble and Jackson Hastings. Well, Jackson Hastings is fantastic. I think he, he's a great player to have in your team. And if those two are playing well with Jaden Braley at hooker, then, yeah, you don't want to change things up. But if Ponga comes back, who knows when that will be, though, because of the concussion. But Yeah, well, it's, you know, it's
1: his fourth in 10 months, right? Yeah, and he's
2: gone to Canada, I think, to... to some magical, like a wise sucking holo remedy sort of thing. but Right. Yeah, look, the, the Knights, yeah, they're, they're, I would say exceeding expectations so
1: far. Yeah, uh, yeah, 100%. I think they are as well. But uh, this one's also not at Brookvale. Manly are the home team, but it's at Mudgie. Mudgie. Yeah, so it's. I think that takes a little bit of the advantage away from Manly as well that it's not at Brookvale. If
2: if you were to say, like, if Mudgie was in New Zealand, where would it be?
1: Mudgee was New Zealand. Where would it be? That's a great way of putting it. Maybe like Whangarei.
2: Oh, okay, because I, uh, I don't know why, but Huntley came to mind.
1: Oh no, that's. I uh, oh, mean, that's, <laughs> that's 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 doing it a massive disservice. I think. Let me it. what's a to
2: Huntley or Mudgee?
1: <laughs> <laughs> very very good point. Uh, it is. Well, actually, you might actually be more right because it's it is it's actually probably more a uh, a Newcastle type place. 'Cause it's inland central New South uh, central west of New South Wales. So two hundred and sixty kilometres north west of Sydney. So north and inland. So it's actually probably closer to Newcastle than it is to Manley. There we go. There we go. We're finding out things about Australian geography we didn't know we needed to know. Rick bomb. Yeah, well, there you go. Just another just just finding out more stuff, another knowledge bomb right here on Extra Time on SCNZ next hour we're going to talk football, cricket and a few other things besides It's just gone 9 o'clock here on SCNZ Extra Time Ricardo Ball with you through till 10 o'clock tonight and uh, joining us now uh, to talk a uh, whole bunch of football from over the last week or so is Paul Temple the Academy Director at the Wellington Phoenix and also the New Zealand Under-22s coach uh, Paul Temple,
4: how are you sir? Yeah, very good, Ricardo.
1: Thank you. Oh, Mate, well, uh, thanks for coming on and congratulations uh, on something you must be extremely happy with. Uh, You you got thrown uh, the gig of coaching the New Zealand Under-22 team, effectively a shadow team that will be trying to uh, qualify for for the next Olympic Games. Uh, You had uh, two games against a a Chinese team, uh, which was kind of more under-24, and you managed to get two wins, score four goals. You've got to be pretty happy with that.
4: Yeah, definitely pretty happy with how uh, the games played out and, and obviously winning against uh, international opponents. Um, big countries, like likes of China, is uh, no mean feat at the best of times. So it was, uh, it was great to get the results and um, it was a really enjoyable week. Uh, yeah, love being part of it um, and uh, yeah, just really positive for, for New Zealand football, I think, with the 23s and the All-Whites um, getting... Four four games and three wins and a draw. I think was a, was a pretty successful outcome overall.
1: Yeah, I mean, going into it, mate, how much did you know about the Chinese uh, the, and the players that you were going to your team was going to face up against?
4: Yeah, we had a little bit of insight. We uh, we managed to get their last four games that they played together as a group in the build up to this. They're sort of preparing for um, the Asian Games, um, and so they've been playing some games. Um, back in China and and across Asia. So we had a little bit of an idea of what to expect, but there's always a little bit of, um, yeah, I guess, unknown in terms of how they would approach games against New Zealand. Um, So what we sort of saw in the the footage that we were watching before the game pretty much played out as, as we thought. So it's good to have a little bit of an insight and preparation to try and help the team kind of understand where things are at. But until the, the whistle goes in the first game and you get a real feel for what the game's going to be like, particularly from a physical point of view, because obviously they were a few years older than us and, and uh, quite a physical team. Um, yeah, you're, you're never really too sure if it's going to play out how you wanted to, but tactically it was it was pretty much what we thought.
1: Yeah, I mean, were you surprised by the physicality? Because, um, I mean, I, I think I talked to you after the first game and I think at halftime it was 14 fouls to one, which really surprised me. They were, uh, I felt like they their intent was, oh, these guys are younger and smaller than us, let's try and bully them in the first half.
4: Yeah, look, I mean, no, I wasn't surprised by the physicality. I, I sort of saw that um, from them in terms of the preparation, just um a team of athletic guys you know that could get around the pitch they had a little bit of pace as well and when they did decide to press it was pretty aggressive and they certainly were not averse to using tactical fouls which I think when you're referring to those fouls in the first game a lot of them were in that sort of more tactical mold where we'd sort of broken pressure and and it felt like there was gonna start an attack and and they stopped it pretty early with with their fouling and you know that's that's part of the modern game at the moment. Some of the some teams do that quite a lot. Um so it's just um it's just part of international football, different experiences for the boys. But I thought they um I thought they adapted really well, didn't get too um yeah, caught up in that physical battle and, and you know, they kind of let their feet do the talking, which is good and, and were able to sort of play through that pressure in the end and uh, and we sort of wore them down I guess.
1: Ben Old really stood out for me. I mean, I know, yeah, you, you, you know, you got a big squad of players there, and a lot of guys had opportunities, but uh, boy, he was a he was a d- real difference maker. And you know, I know he's not not the most verbose bloke, but he he sort of had a bit of a bit of a leadership sort of aura about him on the field, didn't
4: he? Yeah, he, he does. And um, you know, there's a few guys in the team that are full professionals now and uh, and have been for a few years, and so their experience was vital to us. Um, so we used. Um, obviously Sam Sutton was the captain um, and Finn Sermon was the vice-captain and then we had Ben Old and, and the likes of Alex Paulson as well who, who were playing at the Phoenix and in that environment and I think their leadership qualities do stand out. Um, Oldie's not a huge talker on the pitch but he certainly leads by example with with how he does things and, and um, despite his kind of, I guess, stature in the a league he, he does use his body really well and he can handle the physical side of the game so um yeah i knew he was going to be a big player for us it's great to be able to get him decent minutes and, and i think he's really showed over the two games that he's a player with still like lots of potential um still lots of uh, space to grow but he's, he's got quality you know and um and it's, it's shone out in the two games so it's, it's good to see that
1: Yeah, what about uh, of some of the younger guys coming through? Who who sort of impressed you um, over not just in the games, but just working with them day out, uh, day in, day out? um, You know, sort of over that that week or so. I know you know a few of them through the Phoenix situation, but you know, was there anybody else that you you were really impressed by?
4: Yeah, the group were great, and I said to them yesterday night after the match, I was. Um, just so impressed with their attitude and application throughout the week, uh, the professionalism. They're really, really great bunch of lads, and they uh, and they put in a tremendous effort. So I couldn't really fault any of them. Um, I think in the games, you know, I think one of the players that I think really caught the eye um, was Jesse Randall. I thought he he had two really strong games. Um, was a big threat. You know, he's got electric pace. Very direct dribbler um, hurts teams. Wants to get in behind defenders and drive into the box. And um, and then I thought also, you know, particularly in the first game, um, Riley Bidwell was the same in terms of just um, giving us a platform to play forward and was always a, a threat for us. And and you know, you need those players. You need those players that are going to open teams up and uh, and give you something a little bit different um, from a possession-based style, you need to just kind of break that up a little bit. And those guys did a really good job at helping us uh, find that balance You know, because you want to be a team that can keep the ball, but you also don't want to keep it just for the sake of it. You want to you have an end product to it at the end, and, and it's great to have those type of players that you know can, can make something happen for you.
1: Yeah, Riley uh, is an interesting one, isn't he? He's really developing into something of a target man.
4: Yeah, look, I think he can play a multiple amount of roles as a forward in the team. Um, in the academy space over a number of years, we used him in a front two and we used him off the left of a front three and through the middle. So he's, he's got some versatility um, and yeah, he's he's starting to build like a strong frame as well from a physical standpoint and it wasn't an easy job for him because you know the the Chinese had two pretty big, strong centre backs, and but he did a great job playing up front on his own, essentially through the middle, uh, when we played with wingless for most of the time. And so yeah, he he did great, and he's somebody that I think we you know we need to just keep an eye on and making sure that he's accessing good environments, and and I think he's somebody that could kick on and have a professional career for sure
1: yeah and jesse randall you mentioned first uh he's kind of a a stockier marco rojas is what he reminds me of when, when marco was coming through
4: yeah look he's as i say he's super direct in terms of um just he wants to hurt teams and i think um it's it sounds kind of very simple but it's hugely effective you know and he's um He's just constantly trying to get on the half turn and drive at people and take people on. But he's got that kind of pace as well. And, you know, once he puts the foot down and he can get around the outside of people and we used him a bit cutting inside um, to to a good advantage as well in, in the games. And so, yeah, I, I thought he was strong in the two games, played very well. Um, and, yeah, you know, we were lucky to have him and, and Riley and, and Oscar and then, we've got some local guys doing really well with Auckland City, like Joe Lee and Nathan Lobo, who, you know, had good seasons of Auckland City and, and you're able to kind of call upon them guys as well to, to back up the three that we predominantly played. So um, yeah, we've, we had some really good attacking options, which is great as a coach, you know, to be able to, to have those, and in the second game, um, we we saw Jay come on and, and score a, a great goal to win us the match in the second match, and um, yeah arguably he could easily be starting in the team as well. Um, he played well in the first game, but just having those options to to come off the bench, having those options to change your attack a little bit, is is fantastic as a coach.
1: Yeah, well, what does it mean to uh, to you as a, as a coach to get these two wins as well, Paul? Given you know. How long you've uh, you've been toiling away at the coaching game and, and and the work you've done at the Phoenix, but on this level to get this a to get this opportunity, but then to come away with those two wins, what does that mean to you?
4: Yeah, look, I'm thankful for the opportunity. Um, I've been working with Darren for for a few years um, with the under twenties. I've known him a very long time, um, and so I was delighted, you know, when he asked me to do the team um, and having worked with a number of those boys, uh, not just the Phoenix lads, but through age group World Cups as well. In the past, I knew that it was going to be a strong group. So it's an exciting challenge as a coach going into that environment. Um, but look, um, despite my still English accent, I'm very much uh, a Kiwi. You know, um, I've been here in New Zealand longer than I lived in England and i, I class this as home. And so whenever I get to to pull on the fern and and to represent New Zealand and to coach the New Zealand team. It's a real honour to me and it means a lot, you know, and um, yeah, having done a number of age group World Cups, I know how difficult it is to win on the international stage, so to, to be able to get two wins like that was was great and um, yeah, I was really happy for the players um, and yeah, it was it was just a really nice positive week with the group and and I think uh, the players enjoyed it and the staff certainly did. I got to work with some great staff as well, so it was um yeah, it was a really cool week.
1: And how much did you have to do with um with you know Darren Baisley and and the All Whites as well? Did you guys work together pretty closely this week?
4: Yeah, as I say we've been working together with the under 20 team, so um I know exactly kind of what Darren's looking for. Um, As his assistant coach to the 20s and so that working relationship is something that you I guess utilize to the best of your ability, right? And so that Darren had some um, of his own staff of course um, bringing Simon in uh, and Rory who's been in before and then Mossy as well. And so um, it was really great having the kind of camps together staying in the same hotels um, catching up as a staff group really 23s and all whites being able to share information share knowledge share ideas, um, chew the fat on different things. Um, so, yeah, look, there's a balancing act. Obviously, you've kind of got to respect and, and allow the the all-whites to do what they need to do in terms of preparation. Um, but Darren's a really inclusive guy, and, um, and I think he just utilised all of the, the brains in the room, so to speak. And so, yeah, we, we had some really good discussions around both the teams, and he took a real interest in the 23s and was constantly checking in and asking how things are going and he made an effort to go and watch both the games and get to the stadium early and I think that sort of shows his investment in in New Zealand football and the players coming through the system and the future of the game uh, so it was it was a really nice balance between um, between the two teams and having that access across across both was uh, was really cool and unique something that I've not seen before so it's good
1: yeah, and what did you make of the all-whites' performances? I mean, uh, the first game, obviously Tommy, they had the Tommy Smith red card early in the second half, but, I mean, they dominated that first half and the, the second game sort of seemed to go the same way. It was just about taking chances.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, everyone's obviously going to have different opinions and um, and what they see in the games, I think. You can't underestimate, you know, China are ranked 30-odd places above us in the FIFA rankings. Um, They're playing in the uh, Asian Football Confederation, so their competitive game schedule, qualifiers, etc. They play a huge amount of competitive games against big teams, and, uh, and, you know, we don't get that opportunity in Oceania. We have to kind of go out in these windows and find these games that are going to kind of try and help us improve. So to... Have a, a team that are ranked higher than you come to New Zealand and to essentially dominate both the games. It, I think is a testament to the group and uh, and shows that there is you know development happening there. It was a real shame with the red card. I felt because I agree in the in the first game there was there was dominance. Um, it wasn't quite maybe the the penetrating edge that they were looking for in the first half, but there was lots of really good discussions about kind of how to get there and I, and I felt the game was, was going to go my way and then the red card completely changed things. And so when you throw that in the mix and you're playing against a team ranked higher than you um, with 10 men for half an hour, it draws a really good result and not to concede a goal. Um, so I think, you know, you can't sort of underestimate that's quite a difficult thing to do in international football. Um, and in the second game when obviously they had... 11 for the full complement for the whole game there was uh, there was a real dominance yesterday and the fact that china um dropped off and and sat in a very deep block um i think showed a lot of respect to the all-whites in terms of um they didn't want to kind of come out and leave too many gaps and they were aware of some of the players we have and and uh yeah yesterday there was a, a good performance i mean i think um if the penalty goes in, it's it's probably quite a uh, a healthy looking win. Um, I think that would have really sort of opened things up a bit, but um, had to wait a little bit longer, and we got a little bit of luck with the set piece goal, obviously. Um, and then in the second half, I mean, the goal that sort of sealed it was a was a fantastic bit of football and uh, an individualism from Joe Bell. The pass is just amazing, and a great finish from from Garbett. So. Yeah, there was uh, there was definitely flashes of that, and obviously um, they changed formation, they they uh, changed things up a bit with personnel, and and I think it was a brave move, and and they it paid off in the end.
1: Yeah, and I mean the the positive thing from a New Zealand point of view, from an All point of view, is that you've got half a dozen blokes that weren't able to be there for various reasons. Um, I had conversations with uh, Darren and decided that you know they they needed to stick with their club. So you know, got guys like Bill Tui Loma and Ben Wayne and uh, Sarpreet Singh and Ryan Thomas uh, still to come uh, back into the side, and uh, you know, just uh, shows the amount of depth that we've had, because most of those guys are probably, uh, you'd think, command a a starting position.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, you've thrown the curveball with with, uh, Woodsy and and the injury to him. Um, And, and, you know, you could probably argue that Wood, Wayne and Singh would make up a pretty strong um, attacking trio, and uh, we were without all of them. And so um, I think, you know, that's a, again a testament to the group. Some of those other lads stood up and had good games and, and impressed. Uh, and there's, there's a little bit of depth now. We know there's um, the three of the, the guys that, um, that are in that group um, Garbett and Staminich, plus Ben Wayne, are all still young enough for this under 23 team. Um, plus, you've thrown a few of the overage players that you're allowed at the Olympics, and you could have potentially six of the All Whites coming down to that 23 team. Um, And yeah, we were actually talking yesterday, the Chinese team was made up predominantly of players born in 99 and 2000. Um, And when you add that age bracket to the All-Whites, I think there was only three (laughs) All-Whites that couldn't play in the game, in the younger game. So, um, you know, the the young talent we've got as a national team now to draw upon, we're in a stage where we've kind of got to give those time, uh, give those guys a little bit of time because it's not going to happen overnight and they're not going to become international superstars Immediately, it's going to take some games because it's a really young squad. Um, we've got some nice leadership uh, roles in there, some older guys that do a really great job bringing it all together and helping those younger players. So the future's exciting, I think. Um, and then when you add in sort of what the 23s are doing and, and how the 20s and 17s have been going, you know, we've got some real talent coming through our system at the moment which is exciting for everyone
1: yeah very very uh all right paul before i let you go i I know you're a long suffering spurs fan um (laughs) suffering is the right word (laughs) yeah Conte is probably the worst kept secret in in english football of the last week that Conte is going to be fired uh it's officially they've officially pulled the trigger that is four managers Mm. in two years now what next do you think
4: Well, there's some real intriguing options for for Tottenham. Um, I think, without a doubt, the the overwhelming fan's favourite would be a return for Potocino. I think um, he was pretty much adored by the fan base and and everyone at Tottenham. Um, So I think so many people would like to see him come back. Um, But coming back to your old club doesn't always work well, and there's not many examples in history where that's gone well. So... um, there's probably some yeah, trepidation from the ownership group about bringing him back. But there's some other good options now. Um, I think in the last few days, obviously, Julian Nagelsmann leaving Bayern Munich was a real surprise. And and having him on the market gives a, a really interesting option for, for Tottenham, potentially. Um, and then Luis Enrique is out of work. He obviously did a pretty amazing job with Barcelona for three or four seasons and won everything that could be won um, and did well with the Spanish national team. And then there's some other ones in the Premier League as well, I think, um, that are doing a great job at the moment. Roberto De Zerbi at Brighton and uh, Marco Silva at Fulham, probably um, two managers, young managers, that are that are doing very well in the Premier League and are tried and trusted in the Premier League. So, yeah, there's um, there's a decent list of Candidates, I think. So um, it'd be very interesting to see what direction Daniel Levy takes, and and uh, over, I'm sure we'll find out over the next few weeks.
1: Yeah, we will, we will. I've got to say, how hard done by do you have to be if you, Julian Nagelsmann. There must be something else going on. I mean, you've just knocked PSG out of the Champions League. You're into the quarterfinals, and you're you're second in uh, Bundesliga behind Dortmund by a point, and you get the boot. Uh, mm. There's got to be something else going on. You've got to think.
4: Yeah, 100%. Um, look, I think he's he's a young coach who is, you know, he has a certain aura to him. I think the way he, that he plays is really attractive, which is probably one of the reasons why he's being linked so much with the Spurs job, because Tottenham generally don't expect to win trophies, but they, they do want a good style of football for the team to play, which ultimately I think was Conte's downfall, where they quite honestly were pretty boring to watch under Conte. So, um, I don't think that was um, that helped him at all. So Nagelsmann plays great football, but I think he is also a similar personality to Conte in the sense that he wants things done his way. And um, Bayern is a club that is, is very much not in that mould. And uh, they have a board which is uh, quite unique in world football made up predominantly of their ex-players, um, which you don't see very often. So, um, yeah, if you rub up those ex-players the wrong way, then, um, then you might... Um, be sent packing and I think that's what's happened to to Nagelsman because results wise there's absolutely no reason to, to get rid of your coach with the record that he's got. I think he's only lost three games this season. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Incredible really, that he's got the sack. So yeah, definitely something that's gone on between him and the board I'd imagine and, and they've they've parted ways.
1: Yeah, indeed. All right, Paul, hey listen, thanks very much for coming on mate. Great to chat and uh good luck. Uh Going forward, mate, uh, hopefully you're, uh, you're involved in that Olympic campaign and once we find out who the all-whites coach is going to be and things that you're in there as well uh, somewhere, mate, and keep up the good work at the Phoenix, eh?
4: Yeah, thank you very much, thanks for having me on. No
1: problem, any time. Paul Temple there, out of the Wellington Phoenix and out of New Zealand football as it happens now as well, uh, having worked with that New Zealand under-22 team uh, over the last week or so. It is 9.23 here on SENZ Extra Time with you through till 10 o'clock. It's 9.27 here on SENZ Extra Time. 800 150 is the number. 800 150 or double eight double three is our text line. Michael from Wellington has texted to say he was at the second game. Uh, apparently the attendance was 10,305. I can tell you the Auckland game was about 12,000-something. So what's that, about 22,000 and change over two games, which isn't bad, but considering the All does don't play at home very often, against non-Oceania opposition, I thought it might have got a few more bin.
2: Yeah, I would have thought so too, but I might be mistaken. But I think I might have seen on Twitter that ticket prices were probably in the higher higher range, probably probably a bit more than what people probably would want to pay for tickets. Uh, especially when you think, oh, I know I could go to go to like the Warriors or I could go to something else, but cheaper. But I know I know the football was in, in Wellington, but I think they had more people there than they had at the Blues game on.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, there was more people at uh, Mount Smart Stadium than was at the Blues game, uh, both on Thursday and on Sunday.
2: Yeah, quite incredible, eh? Yeah, but, uh, look I, I, yeah, it's great that all whites are back, but I think the ticket prices, based on what I have seen on some reaction on social media, I think probably would have played a difference. And if you make it a bit cheaper, you probably would get more people along. And that's kind of, I think that's just the climate we're in now. If you wanna, if you want to get more people in, in the door, you kind of have to make it affordable to people but I don't know whether the ticket price is coming to help pay the players and things like
1: that and they might do because with lots of these guys playing overseas
2: they might be on all right coin.
1: Yeah, well but I mean, it's not that they have to pay the players, but they have to pay to get the players here. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's
2: yeah. Probably yeah, where I was more going.
1: Yeah, so yeah, it's an interesting one because uh, you like like you said, uh you know, if you make it, I don't know, twenty dollars, $20, 25 dollars, something like that, kids for kids ten bucks or something, yeah. then then you, you know I guess it's finding that line where that gets you this more turnover than you would charging whatever they were charging. Yeah, you know?
2: and it's so cool. It's so cool to get this opportunity where we have these guys here. I'm, I really like Joe Bell as a player. I, I know it was really cool he got the opportunity to cap, captain the team on Sunday. Yeah. But – I I really really like him, and in fact, he's he's going to have probably at least another fifteen years, probably at least playing for the All Whites is great. Uh, and you touched on there with Paul as well. There's a couple of guys, you know, even like a Ben Wayne who just moved to Plymouth Argyle, who didn't even get the call up because they kind of felt him staying at the club would probably be beneficial. And we've got so much young talent coming through, and it's really exciting to see. Even uh, you know Matthew Garbutt who scored. Uh, for for the all whites on Sunday, and even uh, you know Marco, who's playing over, he's playing for Copenhagen at the moment, isn't he? But he's yep. leaving, I think.
1: He's going to go to uh, your Red Red Bull um, Belgrade. Belgrade, yeah, yeah. So like it's Red so Bull, Red Star, Red, yeah, Red Star, Red
2: Star. So, and it's so cool having these guys play for like these. These clubs, and you know, you, you look at Red Star and you look at their, their history and things like that, and you think, Oh my god, we're gonna have a, that's so cool, every New Zealander who's probably gonna be part of that. Yeah, um, so getting the opportunity to get them here is, is fantastic.
1: It is, yeah, it's really good, it's really good, and yeah, I mean, and then you got guys like you know, Paul mentioned them actually, Jesse Randall, he was part of the Wellington Olympic team last year, mm-hmm. went and trialled at Burnley. Uh, not Burnley, Barnsley, I should say, um, and then where Jamie is. and now it's been picked up by a USL team. So that's the so division. So it's, under-
2: it's the San Diego or San San Sutling. I yeah, remember the, seeing it on yeah. socials.
1: Yeah, yeah. So that, that's the level under MLS, um, and he's over there, and mate, he looked great. You know, the ball at his feet, uh, the Chinese didn't know what to do with him. He was uh, he was running straight at them, dribbling around them. In the first uh, first half of the first game, he had a, a couple of really good opportunities.
2: But even even some of those guys that were in the team, Paul Paul coach, you know, you think Alex Paulson, you know. He's, he's a very good chance he's going to be the, the Phoenix keeper next season they, you know, they might bring another someone else in you never know but it's looking looking that way and even like Ben Old who, who's been playing well for the Phoenix and you, he's got these guys and they're beating they beat a Chinese under 2014 which I think is fantastic they're playing they meeting guys who are older than them and probably a bit more skilled, I would assume they might have a bit more funding as well <laughs> based yeah. on the size of the country. And it's fantastic and it's really exciting to see and you just hope that they get they get more and more opportunities down here to play because this you really feel with what is there, this could really be a golden generation coming through.
1: <laughs> Not the curse of the golden generation.
2: Well, you know what I mean. Like we've yeah. we, we've got we've got such good talent coming through, and they're they're playing in big leagues around the world, and they're all so young. And you literally think this could be the core of an all white squad for 10, 15 years. And the possibility of I don't know if it's a hundred percent confirmed. That's why I'm not saying it about the Oceania spot at the World Cup. Yeah, and we're going to have that that possibility and then there's going to be a chance for players to showcase their skills, and then other clubs and other leagues might be interested because they're playing on the World Cup, playing on the biggest stage. So it's really exciting, and that's maybe I won't say a golden generation, but you've got a generation where I think the next 10 to 15 years of the All Whites is going to be really exciting, so you really want to get them to see players as much as possible.
1: Yeah, you do. And, and together. And they play again, I think, in about two months' time in Sweden against Sweden which is going to be a real test.
2: <laughs> Imagine if Zlatan runs out for that.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, hopefully not, hopefully not. But uh, there we go. We'll, see, well, I think I think it's time the international game is done. But uh, speaking of all of that, post-game, Matt Garbutt, uh, who scored for the All-Whites in that game, the 2-1 win over China in Wellington, and Darren Baisley, the interim All-Whites coach, spoke after the match. This is what they had to
5: say. I feel very proud. Uh, I thought it was a really strong performance. Again, a lot of good possession, and, and the team we put out was a very tact minded team, um, and, and we had some really good patterns and really good moments of you know, connection and interchange, and created some good chances. And you know, as the game went on, the players are aware of the the goal scoring thing, you know, and um, and then we get the penalty, and, and obviously we're all expecting to break the drought. Then, and and you know what, penalty takers miss penalties, so no one ever blames. Then, but you're starting to think, oh, really? But, you know, we kept at it and we kept piling the pressure on and, and, and keeping trying to play the right way. And, you know, we get our rewards with, a like, a a, a weird goal. Um, I was thinking it was an own goal in the end. So. But, no, we deserved that. Um, and then, obviously, Matt, Matt, you know, second half, Matt comes on and, and scores a great goal. And that's the moment I think everybody released and celebrated so that was that was an awesome moment for Matt but not just for Matt but for I think the whole team you know the whole bench erupted because I think that was the moment they knew oh, we scored a proper goal and uh, and now we've got a real chance of winning this game and cap off a, a really good a good week together, um, a couple of good performances. So, no, I'm really proud of the boys. And, and again, just the, the energy and the um, enthusiasm that everybody put into the game. You know, we've got players that have travelled halfway around the world, played, you know, over a short period, played two games, and we've got people at the end that are, you know, cramping up and they're still pressing, still pressing, still being aggressive, still hunting. We call it hunting, going after them, trying to win the ball back and make sure they don't get easy possession. Um, and we did that the whole game. Um, So now I'm not even going to talk about the last goal.
6: And then Matt, how did it feel to score at
5: home in Wellington? Yeah, obviously it's, you know,
6: extra special for me because um, I'm from here and um, to do it in front of mates, family, um, to come home even in front of um, where I came from, you know, Olay, you know, to do it in front of those kids. You know, I saw them afterwards and... um, you know, just the the words and everything they were saying, you know, it was good to do in front of them. And um, yeah, obviously a bit gutted didn't start, but um, my job was to come on and and make an impact. So um, I thought I did that, so
5: yeah. And You mentioned um, that you were disappointed not to start, but I guess, you know, not everybody can start a game. And and you seem to use disappointment as a bit of a motivator. I mean, the Olympics, you weren't even in the squad originally, and then all of a sudden you're in the team and you start. How how do you, um, is that something you take pride in, an internal drive to use disappointment as motivation?
6: Yeah, well, personally, I would say I'm not great at hiding emotions. Um, coaches probably know that as well. So even in training yesterday, I was, you know, not great at hiding it. And I did I, what I do is do show it on the training pitch and in, in the in the games. So um, you know, coming on, you know, obviously disappointed, but knew what I had to do, and um, that was my job today. And you know, I came on, and coaches said, you know, you're going to be coming on, so just be ready. And I thought I was ready. I prepared well. So um, yeah. Darren, yeah. um, in terms of, um, you know, you're the interim coach, um, but this was your opportunity
5: to, to stake your claim. How do you think yeah. you've gone in the two games? Well, I mean, I've, I've loved it. I've enjoyed it. and I always said when the opportunity came up that I was going to enjoy it, and, and I have, because how can you not? You know, there are a great set of lads to work with. We've got great staff, so I get a lot of support around us. Um, and it's something, like I've sort of said, something I've been involved in for eight, eight, nine years, um, so it's not coming into something new. Um, so I I've, I've felt like it's been seamless transition into the role, uh, but massively supported by the staff and the players, um, and, it, and it's been a great week. You know, we've we've had we've had a great week. Yeah. Yeah.
6: Could you do June again? Because um, Under Twenty World Cup right before that. Is there a
3: possibility? Would you like to have that shot to yeah, come
5: um, up against Ivan Havelich? I applied for the role. I interviewed for the role, um, and. I'm still in the mix for the role um, and now it will go to whoever to make some decisions of what happens next. But is that scheduling possible for that one person to do both in? We we can make anything possible. Can I ask um, you about the coaching situation? I want to ask you to comment on Darren because it's not fair. Mm -hmm. Can we step away? (laughs) (laughs) But but how do you guys feel about this sort of like long interim period? Do you feel like it's sort of wasted time, or do you think they should pick somebody and get on with it for the next World Cup cycle? Are you happy to wait and get the right person, or what? what Players that?
6: The players don't really look at it in that way. Regardless of the coach, the players here they they're going to work hard for the coach. Um, You know, Darren. Sorry, we call him Bays, but um, Bays has come in, and you know, um, you know, we all you know we've known him for a while, and we get along well with him. You know, we've got a good relationship with him and the players are here to work. At the end of the day, they're not here to decide the coaching um, situation. So, regardless of the coach, um, you know, we're all going to work, and we've enjoyed it this week. It's been very good under under Bays, and um, you know, the trainings, just the the load um, going into games, the general. Um, Things at the hotel and all that stuff, you know, players um, enjoy and they're happy and
5: yeah. So you'd be fine if you go to the next window and it's still an interim situation? Like that's yeah. not going to be an issue for, for the I
6: don't think at all. Um, yeah, to be honest, I think if it's an interim coach or, you know, the men's head coach leading up to the 2026 World Cup, um won't change how the players look at it and um, they head at work and. It's a professional environment. So um, regardless of the coaching situa- uh, situation, we're all gonna, you know, be there to work hard and,
1: and not, you know.
6: Take it as a just another tour.
1: It is 17 away from 10 here on SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you through till 10 o'clock. Uh, your uh, calls are welcome on 0800 150 811. 0800 150 811. Or you can text us 8883. We've been talking football this hour. And, of course, a big story that came out of the UK this morning, New Zealand time, is that Antonio Conte has finally been sacked as the Spurs manager. It's been a long time coming, and uh, it was something that, uh, well, to be honest, I'm surprised it didn't come earlier. Um, there's no talk yet about who is going to be his replacement. That is, I know Stelini, who was his number two, has been put in charge until the end of the season. Uh, Whether he's there till the end of the season will be interesting given I thought there might be uh, people like Julian Nagelsmann and things like that are now available. They might pull the trigger earlier because uh, while they're still there, while they're still on the shelf so they don't miss out on them because now it's come out uh, at the end of the season. Carlo Ancelotti is leaving Real Madrid and maybe Real Madrid want Julian Nagelsmann which would be interesting.
2: But it's it's kind of funny you say that though because that's like the reason why Nagelsmann got sacked at Bayern because they're like Thomas Tuchel's here he's yeah. a good manager we can't they, I think they wanted him a few years ago but he didn't end up going there. Well,
1: oh, it's not the reason he got sacked though. From what I understand, it's all to do with Manuel Neuer.
2: Oh yeah, look, there there are there are other reasons, but I think I think the fact that Tuchel was available and I think I read that he was living in Munich. Yeah, I think it made made sense to them to go. We have to get him, you know. And I think part of it too might be to do with what he did with Chelsea in the Champions League, and he kind of came in very late on in the season and somehow won them
1: a trophy. <laughs> well, it'd be interesting to see what happens at Bayern in summer because Joshua Kimmich, yeah, and um, I can't remember his first Leon Leon Goretzka, who are two of the starters and the stars of that Bayern team have both come out and criticised the football director and the board for sacking Nagelsmann and saying, oh, it wasn't us, we wanted him to stay. Um, So now I wonder whether or not there's going to be a bit of a clear-out of players as well because that won't go down well.
2: No, it seems like a bit of a drama, but who who knows what's going to happen there. But it's all very fascinating, but... Who knows, Nagelsman might have gone, oh, I want to take you know the, the rest of the, the season off and potentially see what will happen with Real Madrid. You, you just never know these things. Yeah, exactly. He probably got a nice nice little check on the, on the way out and he's probably laughing his way to the bank or something like well, that. Because yeah. it was only, what, two years into a five-year deal?
1: Yeah, something like that. So, yeah, he'll be laughing. He will be laughing. He certainly won't be having to, having to worry about... Uh, Putting uh putting food on the table, that's uh that's for sure. Um uh, Peter's texted through saying, Hey guys, a big kia ora to Izzy for coming into my shop in Kyopur. It was great to meet him. Cheers, Pete. Well thanks, Pete. That's good. What's your shop called? Let us know. in the meantime, let's hear uh, uh, the rant from Antonio Conte, the former Spurs manager, the one that got him fired.
7: An another, another another alibi. You try to find alibi or an excuse for for, for the players. Okay, continue, continue to do this, to find excuse for the players. You do only this. You do only this. Excuse for the players. Yeah, but the players, maybe my my future, and then, okay, they lost lost confidence, they lost spirit, they lost to, to be a team. Excuse, excuse, excuse. Try to plot it, try to plot it every time and uh, this situation, ah, come on, come on, come on. We are professional, we, we, we paid, the club paid us a lot of money, the players receive money, me receive money. You understand, not to be, to find excuse and uh, don't have spirit or, or, or don't show the sense of belongings or don't show uh, sense of responsibility. Because we are showing this, and for me, this is unacceptable for me. Because this is the first time in my career to see a situation like this. And until now, I wasn't able to change. Not to change, but compare last season. The situation went to become worse. Why, Antonio? Why do you
1: think it is like this?
7: Why? Bah! I don't know, because they are used to here. They're used to here. Don't play for, uh, for, uh, for something important. Yeah. And, uh, they don't play, uh, they don't want to play under pressure. They don't want to play under stress. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's easy in this way. And Tottenham, Tottenham's story is this. 20 years that there is the owner and never won something. But why? Only for, the default is only for the club or for the every manager that stay uh, here? And uh, I have seen uh, the manager that Tottenham had on the bench. You risk to disrupt the figure of the manager and to protect the other situation in every moment. And now, now uh, until now, I tried to hide the situation, but now, no. Because I repeat, I don't want to see what I have seen today, because this is unacceptable. Also for the respect for the fans, they follow us, pay the tickets, and to see the team another time to have this type of performance, for me, I repeat, this is unacceptable. And uh, we have to think a lot, we have to think a lot about, about this.
0: Last one, please, guys. Thank
4: you, Antonio. Last week you said that you saw the fire in the eyes of your players again. What what has changed between now and this game, and how much is it your responsibility to motivate
7: them? I said that I want to see the fire, not that I have seen. It's different. I say that I want to see the fire into the eyes. I want to see the fire into the heart. I want to see the right spirit. Okay? And not only in the training session, into the pitch. Because here you have to make the difference. And I'm not seeing this. And until now, I try to hide the situation. But now, oh. There are ten games to go and uh, something something thinks uh, that we can fight. We can fight for what? With this spirit, uh, with this attitude, with this commitment. For what? For the seventh, eighth place, name place. I'm not used to this position. I'm really upset. And everybody has to take their responsibility. Not only the club, not only the 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 the, the manager, the staff. The players to be involved. In this situation, because it's time to change the situation. If Tottenham wants to change, if they want to continue in this way, they can, they can change manager, a lot of manager, but the situation cannot change. Believe me. Thank you very much.